Hi, it's Darren, and before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to encourage you to join me in my Christmas tradition. Every year at about this time, I ask you, my fellow weirdos, to join me in saving the lives of children in Haiti and Guatemala. You can save a life today. You know, children under five, they are mentally and physically stunted from a lack of nutrients and clear water. But this week, your gift of just $150, that'll provide food for a year and clean water for life for three children. A single gift of just $150. Or just send a single gift of $50 to save the life of one child. You can help right now by calling 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or on your mobile phone, you can dial pound 250 and then say the keyword HOPE. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. And that'll connect you to an operator. That's pound 250 on your mobile phone and then say the word HOPE. If you'd rather give online, you can do so on my website. Just go to MarlarHouse.com and then towards the bottom right-hand side, you can click on the banner that says Give Life. And thank you very much and Merry Christmas. This podcast is part of the Bomb Pod Media Network. Welcome, weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Android so you don't miss future episodes. Also, coming December 13th through December 24th, you don't want to miss my 12 Nightmares of Christmas, in which I'm teaming up with paranormal author Sylvia Schultz to bring you some of the darkest stories of the holiday season, with 12 straight days of weird darkness beginning December 13th. Be sure to put it on your calendar. Coming up in this episode… A dream home becomes a house of nightmares. A woman living alone hears a raspy man's voice speak to her in the dark. While exploring a haunted ship, a woman gets burned, literally. A non-believer in the paranormal becomes a believer in his own home. Howard Carter becomes the first person to peer inside of the tomb of King Tutankhamun in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. It turned out to be the discovery of a lifetime and the start of an ancient curse. The Wendigo, 
a shapeshifter, a cannibal, and many believe it to be completely real. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. We moved into a new house in San Jose recently. It's our dream house, but ever since we moved in, I cannot sleep the way I used to. It takes me a long time before I fall asleep and when I do, I wake up many times during the middle of the night and then in the morning I'm exhausted due to lack of sleep. It's becoming very stressful. It all started shortly after we moved in. I was having one of those, now common, nights where I could not go to sleep. I was tossing and turning but had my eyes closed. I felt as though someone was watching me sleep and I opened my eyes and saw a blurry shadow standing next to my bed. I closed my eyes and opened them again. It was no longer there. A few days later, I was taking some laundry upstairs and saw the outline of the shadow standing in the door of one of the bedrooms. I've seen it on the stairs, in our bathroom, everywhere. I've also felt as if someone is touching my legs under the sheets. I'm usually half asleep when this happens and to be honest, I thought the first time it was my husband trying to get some. But when I asked him the next morning, he told me he did not, that he was asleep. Recently, I've been hearing knocking noises emanating from the spare room. This has only happened a couple of times so far. I'd been living in Odessa, Texas for about two years. I had a very small, comfortable apartment. Every so often, I would notice things out of the corner of my eye. Nothing that scared me or my dog, Chloe. One night, everything changed. I just climbed into bed. Chloe had snuggled under the covers, ready for sleep. Out of the blue, I hear a raspy man's voice. He said, Hey, lady. There was nobody home but us. I told a neighbor about it. He started to tell me a story. About 10 years before I moved in, there had been a couple in the apartment. The man had recently got out of prison. He was on parole. He and his girlfriend had an awful fight. He was so angry that he'd broken all the windows in her car. Before anyone called the police, he killed himself. He borrowed a shotgun. It happened in my bedroom. He was afraid that if the police came, he'd be going back to prison. I couldn't believe that no one had told me about this. His name was Eddie Mack. In a bizarre coincidence, I moved home to Massachusetts, met a man on a dating site. I started to tell him my experience. He said, I knew Eddie. He was a psychopath. He knew that he'd killed himself but didn't realize it was in Odessa, in my bedroom.
on a cool day, my wife decided to enjoy our weekend by visiting the Queen Mary ship in Long Beach, California. We live only about 40 minutes away from it and decided to make a day of it. The Queen Mary is a fascinating place, full of history and mystery. The ship was a transatlantic luxury cruise ship and, during World War II, served as a troop transport, carrying thousands of U.S. troops to and from Europe. She was painted gray and was named the Gray Ghost. During one of its many missions, the Queen Mary accidentally crashed into one of its escort ships and literally split it in half, killing many sailors. After the war, the ship eventually returned to being a passenger cruise ship with its black and red colors. The ship eventually was retired from service and now rests in Long Beach. It has been transformed into a hotel and a popular place for banquets, weddings, and many other social events. The ship is also a hotspot of paranormal activity, with countless witnesses to those activities. It even has its popular haunted tour attraction. My wife and I had signed up for the tour and had an hour before going to the designated area to meet the guide. We decided to look around the ship to kill some time. We made our way to the rear of the ship where there is an area dedicated to the troops that were transported. There were replicas of the rooms where they slept and their gear. It was a mini-museum. As an Army veteran myself, I always enjoy such things. My wife and I went our own ways as we looked through the displays and read the posted stories. We were nevertheless within eye view of each other. My wife was in front of the room replica of where some of the Navy personnel families actually stayed in. Some wives and children actually went with their military husbands. Soon after that, we decided to head to the meeting spot for the tour. As we made our way, my wife started to complain of a painful sensation on her left wrist. She was wearing a light sweater, so she rolled up her sleeve and, to our shock, we saw what caused her pain. She had been burned by a cigarette. We saw the clear circle with ash. There were only a few people there, and I know for a fact no one was smoking. We don't smoke, never have. We were confused as to where this burn came from. My wife told me that while she was viewing the family displays, she said to the mannequins and photos of the wives of the sailors, you must have suffered. Perhaps one of the many ghosts there took offense to my wife's words, even though they were only said out of empathy. We had to cut the day short and head back home because my wife suffered a strong migraine not long after this mysterious ghostly burn. As we drove off and made it to the freeway, her migraine started to disappear. I've never really given the whole paranormal thing much thought. It's certainly not an interest of mine. However, that may change as my experience, as minor as it was, was rather conclusive to me that there are strange things happening all the time. I know for a fact what I saw was there. It was early evening and I was working at the kitchen table with my laptop. My wife was in our bedroom getting changed. 
I usually put a couple of hours in after dinner before settling down with my wife to watch a movie or TV show. I was just finished with a long and boring report when my computer completely shut off, just a black screen. No big problem, that happens every now and again, but while waiting for my laptop to boot back up, I noticed something standing behind me as I sat in my chair. I could see a torso and two arms very clearly in the screen. I turned around and nobody was there. I looked back at the laptop screen and nobody was there. I went back to work. What else can you do? Later that night, I was telling my wife about that little experience and she was telling me that the TV sometimes changes channels on her during the day. She thought it was an electrical fault. Now, what's interesting to me is that my computer went off before I saw that thing, and it could be changing TV channels. Do ghosts have any control over power sources? I'd love to learn more about this. Can you see anything? Yes. Wonderful things. On November 26, 1922, Howard Carter became the first person to peer inside the tomb of King Tutankhamun in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. It turned out to be the discovery of a lifetime and, if some are to be believed, the start of an ancient curse. Howard Carter was born in London on May 9, 1874. His father, Samuel Carter, was a talented artist and he helped his son develop his own talents, which he put to use in 1891 when he made his first trip to Egypt. He was only 17 years old at the time, but it was the start of an archaeology career that led to his appointment as the first chief inspector of the Egyptian Antiquities Service in 1899. He supervised a number of excavations at Thebes, now known as Luxor, before he was transferred in 1904 to the Inspectorate of Lower Egypt. Carter resigned from the Antiquities Service in 1905 after an inquiry into an incident between Egyptian site guards and a group of French tourists in which he sided with the Egyptian personnel. Carter's career stalled until 1907 when he was hired by Lord Carnarvon to supervise his excavations. Carnarvon financed Carter's work in the Valley of the Kings until 1914 when it was interrupted by World War I until 1917 when serious work was resumed. After several years of fruitless searching, Carnarvon became dissatisfied with the lack of results, and in 1922 he gave Carter one more season of funding to find a spectacular tomb. On November 4, 1922, Carter's excavation group found the steps leading to Tutankhamun's tomb, by far the best preserved and most intact tomb ever found in the Valley of the Kings. He wired Carnarvon to come and on November 26th, with Carnarvon, Carnarvon's daughter, and others in attendance, Carter made the tiny breach in the top left-hand corner of the doorway and was able to peer in by the light of a candle and see that many of the gold and ebony treasures were still in place. When Carter Van asked, can you see anything, Carter replied with the famous words, yes, 
wonderful things. The clearance of the tomb, with its thousands of objects, continued until 1932. Following his sensational discovery, Howard Carter retired from archaeology and became a part-time agent for collectors and museums, including the Cleveland Museum of Art and the Detroit Institute of Arts. He visited the United States in 1924 and gave a series of illustrated lectures in New York City and other cities in the United States that were attended by very large and enthusiastic audiences, sparking Egyptomania in America. He died of cancer in Kensington, London on March 2, 1939. He was buried in Putney Vale Cemetery in London. On his gravestone is written, May your spirit live, may you spend millions of years, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness, and, O night, spread thy wings over me as the imperishable stars. Even though he survived for many years after the opening of the tomb, believers in the so-called Curse of the Pharaohs named Carter as one of the many victims. The belief in a curse was brought to many people's attention due to the sometimes mysterious deaths of a few members of Howard Carter's team and other prominent visitors to the tomb shortly thereafter. Despite popular misconceptions, there was no written curse on the tomb of Tutankhamun. The story came from a newspaper report that followed Lord Carnarvon's death. It claimed that the curse read, Death shall come on swift wings to him who disturbs the peace of the king, a phrase which does not actually appear among the hieroglyphs in the tomb, even though it was said to appear in several different tombs in the Valley of Kings. The curses were carved to try and scare away grave robbers. Even so, some very weird things happened after Tutankhamun's tomb was open. The famous Egyptologist James Henry Breasted worked with Carter soon after the first opening of the tomb. He reported how Carter sent a messenger on an errand to his house. On approaching his home, he thought he heard a faint, almost human cry. On reaching the entrance, he saw the birdcage occupied by a cobra, the symbol of Egyptian monarchy. Carter's canary had died in its mouth, and this fueled local rumors of a curse. The first of the mysterious deaths was that of Lord Carnarvon. He had been bitten by a mosquito and later slashed the bite accidentally while shaving. It became infected, and blood poisoning resulted. Two weeks before Carnarvon died, Marie Corelli wrote an imaginative letter that was published in the New York World magazine in which she quoted an obscure book that confidently asserted that dire punishment would follow an intrusion into a sealed tomb. A media frenzy followed, with reports that a curse had been found in the king's tomb. Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, suggested at the time that Lord Carnarvon's death had been caused by elementals created by Tutankhamun's priests to guard the royal tomb, and this further fueled the media interest. Doyle would later change his mind away from the spiritual in favor of science. He later speculated that deadly fungus could have grown in the enclosed tombs and been released when they were open to the air. He also suggested that the mold had been placed there deliberately to punish grave robbers. In 1925, the anthropologist Henry Field, accompanied by Breasted, 
visited the tomb and recalled the kindness and friendliness of Carter. He also reported how a paperweight given to Carter's friend Sir Bruce Ingham was composed of a mummified hand with its wrist adorned with a scarab bracelet marked with, Cursed be he who moves my body, to him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. Soon after receiving the gift, Ingram's house burned down, followed by a flood when it was rebuilt. Howard Carter was entirely skeptical of such curses. He did report in his diary a strange account that in May 1926 he saw jackals of the same type as Anubis, the guardian of the dead, for the first time in over 35 years of working in the desert. Skeptics have pointed out that many others who visited the tomb or helped to discover it lived long and healthy lives. A study showed that of the 58 people who were present when the tomb and sarcophagus were opened, only eight died within a dozen years. All the others were still alive, including Howard Carter, who died in 1939. But those looking for a curse attributed a number of deaths to the opening of the tomb, including Lord Carnarvon, financial backer of the excavation team who was present at the tomb's opening, died on April 5, 1923, after a mosquito bite became infected. He died four months and seven days after the opening of the tomb. George J. Gould I, a visitor to the tomb, died in the French Riviera on May 16, 1923, after he developed a fever following his visit. Egypt's Prince Ali Kamel Fami Bey died July 10, 1923, shot dead by his wife. Colonel the Honorable Aubrey Herbert, MP, Carter Vaughn's half-brother, became completely blind and died September 26, 1923, from blood poisoning related to a dental procedure intended to restore his eyesight. Wolf Joel, a South African millionaire and visitor to the tomb, died November 13, 1923, shot dead in Johannesburg by blackmailer Baron Kurt von Veltheim, whose real name was Carl Frederick Moritz Kurtz. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist who X-rayed Tutankhamun's mummy, died January 15, 1924, from a mysterious illness. Sir Lee Stack, Governor General of Sudan, died November 19, 1924, assassinated while driving through Cairo. A.C. Mace, a member of Carter's excavation team, died in 1928 from arsenic poisoning. The Honorable Mervyn Herbert, Carter Vaughn's half-brother and the aforementioned Aubrey Herbert's full brother, died May 26, 1929, reportedly from malarial pneumonia. Captain the Honorable Richard Bethel, Carter's personal secretary, died November 15, 1929. He was found smothered in his bed. Richard Luttrell Pilkington Bethel, 3rd Baron of Westbury, father of the above, died February 20, 1930. He supposedly threw himself off his seventh-floor apartment. And of course, Howard Carter. Even though he died many years later, some have still attributed his death to the curse. If you believe that there were a number of strange deaths but don't believe in the curse, then what caused the deaths? While there is no evidence that pathogens, like those suggested by Doyle and subsequent researchers, killed Lord Carnarvon, there is no doubt that dangerous materials can accumulate in old tombs. Recent studies of newly opened ancient Egyptian tombs that had not been exposed to modern contaminants 
found pathogenic bacteria and a number of dangerous molds. Additionally, newly opened tombs often become roosts for bats and bat guano may also harbor dangerous pathogens. However, at the concentrations typically found, these pathogens are generally only dangerous to persons with weakened immune systems. But can molds cause murders, accidents, and suicides? Obviously not. So, was there really a curse? I'll leave that up to you to decide. In some myths of the Algonquin tribes of North America, there is a mythological creature, Wendigo, that takes different forms. It is a cannibal, a monster. When there is nothing left to eat, it starves to death. When it sees something, it wants to own it. No one else can have anything. This illness feeds on a spiritual void. The Wendigo is a danger that surrounds us. It is not only a creature from myths and legends of the ancients. The Algonquin Native Americans represent the most extensive and numerous North American groups, with hundreds of tribes speaking several related dialects of the language group Algonquian. They lived in most of the Canadian territory below the Hudson Bay and between the Atlantic Ocean and the Rocky Mountains. Their rich mythology and their beliefs survived many generations and so did the Wendigo, a monster and boogeyman. This cannibal monster, also known as Windigo or even Wingigo, is an evil man-eating spirit. However, his abilities and evil doings vary depending on the locality where the legends were gathered. Generally, the Wendigo has certain characteristics of a human or an evil spirit. By possessing a human being, the Wendigo can change him or her to become a cannibal. The Wendigo, a malevolent supernatural being, is associated with cannibalism, murder, and voracious greed, and this kind of behavior has always been condemned in these indigenous communities. In some myths and legends of the Algonquin-speaking peoples, those who commit sins such as selfishness, greed, or cannibalism are turned into a Wendigo as punishment. Among the peoples of Canada, around the Barrens Lake located in Manitoba, Canada, along the eastern shore of Lake Winnipeg, the Wendigo is an amphibious being like an alligator, with bear's feet or cloven hooves. In the beliefs of the Chippewa Indians, also known as the Ojibwe, this evil creature is an ogre which is focused on children to obtain their compliant behavior along with other indigenous tribes such as Eastern Cree, West Main Swampy Cree, Noscopy, and Innu, the Ojibwe describe the Wendigo as a giant, many times larger than human beings. In Algonquin folklore, however, the Wendigo is the spirit of a lost hunter who now mercilessly preys upon humans in a cannibalistic manner. The Wendigo is never happy. He's never satisfied with his killings and consuming of the bodies. He is constantly searching for new victims. His hunger is limitless. As I said earlier, when there's nothing left to eat, it starves to death. When it sees something, it wants to own it. No one else can have anything. 
this illness feeds on a spiritual void. The Wendigo is a danger that surrounds us. It is not only a creature from myths and legends of the ancients. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a monthly patron and get exclusive content and updates for as little as $1 per month, including numerous episodes you can't find anywhere else online. Learn more on the Become a Patron page at WeirdDarkness.com. In fact, I'd like to welcome our newest patrons, Billy Huddleston and Maureen Ann Messy. Thank you for becoming patrons. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with others and help build the Weird Darkness community by converting your friends and family into weirdos as well. Also a big thanks to those who posted reviews this week about the podcast. Carmen Collins said, Hi from Canada. I just discovered your podcast and I love it. I listen to it every chance I get. Amazing narration and storylines. Thank you. Keep up the amazing work. 6CS said, Totally hooked. Can't wait for the next episode. X Big Marks said, This is a very well-produced, great-sounding podcast with informative and entertaining content. Stuck on the Wall said, Simply the best. Hammerchick said, Very good podcast with a great voice and great stories. The first one I listened to was while doing my exercise walk in a cemetery. Hazel Bellhop said, Love the delightful chills this podcast gives me. Great voice work and production value. Thank you. Mish3GH said, I love this podcast. The reader has a great voice. The stories are spooky and dark. He gives stories that are also well-researched, a must for any paranormal fan. SoulDiva23 said, It's hard to find a good, frightful story, but this podcast really does just that. I love it. Two Cent said, One of the best, creepy, yet informative casts around. Next to No Sleep, some of the most pleasant voices in my ears throughout my day and night. Thanks. And MN Deputy said, I grew up spending long road trips with the only thing to look forward to was the creepy old radio shows on AM radio. This brings me those again with a professional narrator, great background music and sound effects, and best of all, great stories. Thanks for all your hard work. Thanks to all of you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Weird Darkness. Do you have a dark tale to tell? You can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. All stories in this episode are purported to be true. The Haunting of a San Jose Home was submitted by Jane Anton to MyHauntedLife2.com. The Chilling Voice of Eddie Mack was submitted by Joan Stoller to MyHauntedLife2.com. Burned at the Queen Mary Ship was submitted by Isaac M. at WeirdDarkness.com. Paranormal Experience for the First Time in My House, submitted anonymously to MyHauntedLife2.com. The True Story of the Mummy's Curse was written by Troy Taylor and posted to Facebook. Cannibalistic Shapeshifter Wendigo was written by A. Sutherland for AncientPages.com. Find links to all of this episode's stories in the show notes. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate. You can find them online at MidnightSyndicate.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. <laughs>